0: Hi Graceway family. Uh, this is not Pastor Greg. He wanted me to fill in for you. Um, tonight we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Pastor's not feeling great. He, uh, his numbers have kind of gone back up. Uh, I'm sure you'll be getting some more information and be, ma- be made aware more about his condition over the next several days. Um, please be in prayer for him. Uh, we're going to spend some time here together praying for him. And then we're going to kind of go into what we've been going over with the teenagers, uh, the students on Wednesday nights as well. So if you would, please uh, take a moment with me real quick and pray for Pastor Greg and Miss Sammy and for the doctors, uh, hoping that he can have a a speedy recovery. So I'm going to give a moment to pray and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer and jump into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Heavenly Father, we do want to come to you on behalf of our pastor. Uh, we know that he loves being able to do this. He loves being able to, to share the word that you have given to him uh, with, the, with our people, with our, our church family. God, I pray that right now uh, as he's at home resting, uh, getting ready to, to either see the doctor or even now as Paul, we uh, made plans to, to see the doctor. I want to pray that you would be with him, pray that you would uh, keep him, keep his spirits up. Lord, I pray that you would allow him to uh, understand, Lord, that you're with him. Lord, uh, we are praying for him. We are praying with him that he would be able to uh, to bounce back from this. Lord, we, we know that he's had a rough time recently trying to keep his health in check, and he's been doing uh, as much as he can to, to be able to, to monitor that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to give him grace, continue to give him strength, Pray that you be with miss sammy as well uh, as his wife pray that you would give her uh, clarity and strength as well to be able to, to to work together to be able to overcome this to come out on the other side of this Lord, we do want to ask that you would allow them to stop having to play defense and to start playing some offense start going against it start really uh, really taking the necessary precautions to to make sure that they are um, getting healthier that they are uh, working together in order to, to make sure that their time together is as fruitful Lord I pray that you would allow him also to to know that to be at peace knowing Lord that <clears throat> Lord that you're gonna have something awesome in store for him um, In the next few weeks months however long this may take pray that he would come back even stronger and Lord I pray this in your name Amen so if you have a Bible we're gonna be in 1st John chapter 5 We've been going through the book of First John. I preached a very similar message out of First John chapter 4, a month or so, maybe a couple months ago when pastors started first having symptoms of not feeling well. So we're in 1 John chapter 5 and this is what we've been doing with our students. We've been working incrementally verse by verse through, the, through John's letter uh, to these to these believers, wanting to understand more so about what authentic faith looks like. And so he's laid out for us several different aspects. There are several key themes that run through the book of 1 John. If you have done any kind of study in 1 John, you know that there is a a large group of people who had started to infiltrate the church known as the Gnostics, those who were selling secret knowledge, spiritual knowledge that could not be attained by any kind of revelation from God or any kind of human experience. It had to be something outside of mankind and outside of themselves That would give them some kind of benefit or some kind of elite mentality Above uh, the, the the physical here now present time, which was looked down upon as evil um, Dualism uh, was something that was definitely um, Encouraged by early Gnostics was that this dual Set this dual nature of body and spirit the, the things that were of the physical world the body the material world those things were inherently evil and therefore you had to pursue things that are only spiritual which would also put knowledge and spiritual knowledge and mystical understanding of things above anything physical as well what john wants for his readers to know is that not only is knowledge important but it's also knowledge of what has happened in the physical jesus came and that's one of the first things that he opens his letter with in first john chapter one is he lays out this eyewitness testimony of the fact that we have seen Jesus, physical seeing. We have heard Jesus, physical hearing. We have touched Jesus, physically interacting with Christ himself. And so all of this knowledge that we have, if it is just mystical, spiritual understanding or whatever it may have been, whatever they they were trying to, to, to sell, if it's not anchored in Christ and in who he was and who he said he was, it was completely and totally worthless. Paul, Paul echoes this also in his letter to the Corinthians talking about if I have all of the spiritual understanding so as to move mountains, all the faith to be able to move mountains and to prophesy and to understand things that are too big for us here on earth to understand, but if I don't have love, then I'm nothing except just a, a rusty, rusty gong, nothing more than just wanting to, uh, to make noise virtually. So when it comes to 1 John and what John wants to talk about here in chapter 5, he's laid out a groundwork for the believers an understanding this is what authentic faith looks like. It is first and foremost built on who Jesus is and on who he said he was. There's a lot of ideas about who Jesus is today in today's modern era, but this is not something that was new to the the early believers as well. It's very interesting to think how Similar, how consistently fallen mankind's nature has been ever since the fall early on um, in, in the beginning of creation to the church that is experiencing this influx of false teachers with First John all the way up to today's present age. There is nothing new under the sun. There's just different manifestations of this fallenness, of this twisting of God's word. <clears throat> so in chapters 1 through 4, John has continued to anchor for his readers the fact that our salvation is not based upon the intensity of our faith. It's not based upon how much spiritual knowledge we have. It's anchored on the object of our faith, who is Christ Jesus himself. And the fact that he has not only come as a spiritual being, he came as a physical person to not only relate to the two, to relate to us, but also to satisfy God's plan for our sins being paid for through in verse, in and chapter, uh, chapter 3 talks about the propitiation for our sins, how Christ hit, could not have satisfied the wrath of God towards sin if he had not come in flesh to begin with. Two things that are gonna come up in this, in this passage that we're gonna look at in 1 John chapter 5, verses one through five is the constant reminder of what love really looks like as well as how to know that we are his. Those two things are tied to each other. Knowing that we are gods, knowing that we're children of God, is anchored in our love for God. And knowing that we are children of God is expressed in our love for others. You cannot divorce those two things. Authentic faith has, at the anchor point, Christ himself, who has changed us, who is the object, who is the perfecter of our faith. And at the same time, it is motivating us to show our love for God by showing our love for others. And it's very interesting. How so many people, Paul Washer talks about how so many people want to let, want to say that God is love, but they never let God define what love is. And so here in 1 John, we've seen very clearly that love is bearing one another's burdens. It is showing compassion and grace towards others the way that Christ has showed compassion and grace towards us. It is taking care of others in ways that they cannot take care of themselves. It is sacrificial love active love, which is portrayed and again anchored in who Christ was in what he said and in what he did. So uh, with that being said, we're in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to dissect the first verse in order to move through into verses 2 2 through 5. So 1 John chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him." So verse 1, when we teach the teenagers how to understand how to dissect Scripture, it's very important to make sure that all of Scripture is speaking at all times. We don't want to just take a certain verse and isolate it. We don't want to take certain parts of a verse and separate them from the overall context. So when John says in verse 1, everyone, he doesn't mean everyone. If he had said, everyone has been born of God, there's some difficulty there, because not everyone is born of God. We are all creations of God, but we are not all children of God. That's why he clarifies, he says, not, uh, not just everyone, but everyone who believes, those who are believing ones. But not just that, because you can believe a whole lot of things. You can believe a whole lot of things about Jesus. You can believe a whole lot of things about God. There are any number of religions that exist in our world who have their own ideas about Jesus and who have their own ideas about God. So it's not even as much for John to say, everyone who believes has been born of God. He has to get very specific. He's combating Gnosticism. He's combating this spiritual knowledge, this mystical elite idea that you can know things and our human intelligence and our human knowledge outranks the revelation of God, he does away with that, just in this one verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus, and now if he's even stop right there, many people then, today, have different ideas about who Jesus is. If you ask Roman Catholics who Jesus is, you're going to get a different answer from those who are Muslims, who are going to get a, give a different answer from those who are Jews, and you're certainly going to get a different answer from those who are genuine, biblical, born-again Christians. Different Jesuses have different Gospels. So what John is trying to help us to hone in on is proclaim to us who Jesus was because of who he said he was. He says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one. It's the Greek translation of the the Hebrew word Messiah, the one who was appointed by God, who was chosen by God to be the Redeemer, to be the Rescuer those are the ones who have been born of God and he compounds this with the word and not only those who believe and who can know that they are sons and daughters of God by understanding that Jesus is the Christ and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him it is so interesting disheartening discouraging when we Interact with fellow brothers and sisters who are equally indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we treat them with such contempt. We treat them with such such harshness. There's a lot of division going on within the church now. Some of it is good, because division needs to be anchored upon points of foundational, biblical truth. So if there is division because of who Jesus was, because of the Trinity, those are good divisions. Those are divisions that are necessary. But division should not approach itself in the sense that, well, you're just different than I am, so therefore you must be wrong. If anything proves that, it's Facebook. It's social media. Just because somebody disagrees with what I say or, who, or what I like or, or what I believe, therefore they're wrong. We can't have that kind of mentality. We've got to get to the heart of these issues. It says that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Again, that's even a qualifier. He's not only saying those who love the Father. Earlier on in John's letter, he talks about if you have love for God, it's gonna be shown in how you keep his commandments. We're gonna see that later on, actually in verse three in just a moment, but whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Authentic faith is anchored in Christ and is acknowledged and shown through our love for God to one another. And not just others, not just those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians, this is specifically speaking about those who are born of God, equally indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Move on to verse 2. One of John's favorite phrases is to say the words, by this, by this, and he's going to explain to us what this is. By this we can know that we love the children of God, speaking explicitly of God's children, not of God's creation, but God's children. By this, We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. This is very similar and echoes a lot of what uh, John writes, same writer, what he records in his own gospel. In John 20, verse 30, it says, "'Now Jesus did many other signs "'in the presence of the disciples, "'which are not written in this book, "'but these are written, "'so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name." We can't claim to have life in His name. We can't claim that Jesus is the Christ and that He is the Son of God and not have a love for what He has said, not have a love for His Word, not have a love for His commandments. When it comes to understanding even the the issue especially with students is, how can I know what God wants me to do with my life? Well, there are some things that are, that, that are difficult to discern, some things that are hard to under, understand and come to a, a firm conclusion about, things that are mysterious to us. They're known to God, but they're mysterious to us. But then there's His explicitly stated will, the things that He has given us directly as commandments. And the first thing to start off is the Ten Commandments. We've got to start there. we got to understand that In order for us to have a love for God, in order for us to have a love for others, we have to understand what has God commanded of us. And not just the Ten Commandments. That's the starting point. In fact, that's the MRI that shows where within us are we most sinful. But when we look at Scripture as a whole, when we see all the commands that He has given to us, these things are not burdensome. In fact, He he says... Earlier in Matthew chapter 11 Jesus himself says that you need to come to me you who are weary and I will give you rest. Verse 3 says the exact same thing. He uses the same kind of method for this. Verse 2 he said by this we know that we are cho- we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments and for this is the love of God. Well what is the this? It's that we keep his commandments. And here's the, here's the amazing thing. If it was just that, that would seem a little bit daunting. That would seem a little bit uh, almost unattainable to be able to keep all of the things that God has commanded us to do. There's a, there's a lot. Not only the things that are morally accepted and passed on from the Old Testament, but also the New Testament commands that He gives to us. But when we look at the next part of verse 3, it takes a whole lot of the burden off of us because he says, John says, his commands are not burdensome. They're not to weigh us down. They're not meant to cause us more conflict within ourselves. It's gonna cause conflict because when the spirit of God is thrust up against our own, our own selfish flesh, there's conflict. There is a constant war being fought on the turf of our hearts against our flesh to be in the flesh and to be following the will of God the explicit will of God. And sometimes when we get to the point to where we see God's commandments as burdensome, we need to remind ourselves that what is it really tying us down from, tying us down to? Are we really feeling like we're controlled, being, being constantly bombarded and heaped upon this heavy, heavy load of following God's commands? Or is it something that God's calling us to do, which is in conflict with our natural flesh? The two ways that Scripture, especially with what Paul talks about in some of his letters, the two ways that are used to define the flesh is the sinful desires that we have within us, and the other side is just to be within this physical body. Again, John is not letting us get away from the fact that the physical is important. We need to follow God's commands, and God's commands are not just spiritual in nature, but they're also physical practices, physical disciplines. For this is the love of God, that we, keep His, <clears throat> that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Which is especially intriguing because that is how we know that we love the children of God, that we love God, and that we obey His commandments. And even back up to verse 1, that helps us to understand that our love for the Father Is also highlighted and it also expressed by our love for those who are born of Him because we proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. You can work forwards and backwards with these verses because they're all tied to the same thing. That God is the standard of what love is. Not only is He loving, He is the standard for what love is. Verse 4, we have another repeat of the word everyone. So, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Earlier in John's letter in chapter 2, he said that these are basically, the, if you've ever seen the movie, remember the Titans, uh, the, the coach um, Herman Boone talks about how he has a very thin playbook. He runs six plays and they're like Novocaine. Just give them time and they always work. Well, back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, you see Satan's playbook. Just give it time. It always works because it, all, it, it hinges upon our weak, finite, sinful nature. The three things, the three plays that Satan always uses, are the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions. He says that is is not this from the father; these are not from the father, but are from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. How does this connect to chapter five, verse four? Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. There is freedom. There is liberation. There is victory. There is conquering of the sinful desires. And they're not found within our betterment of ourselves. They're found within seeing God's word, seeing his commands and seeing his love as something to strive for, something to to follow. This is the victory. He goes on again and uses the same the same method, the the same terminology for this. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. And he clarifies it. What is the victory that has overcome the world? It's our faith. John chapter 16, back to his gospel. We can't, we can't divorce John's letter here from his gospel. But John 16, verse 33. Some of you may already know this. Some of you have this memorized. John 16, he's recording Jesus' words himself. And this is what Jesus says. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will struggle. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The fact that everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, it's not within us to overcome it. It's within Him who has already overcome it. This is echoing the new heaven, the new earth, what Jesus experiences what Jesus is what's spoken about of Jesus in the book of Revelation he writes to the to the seven churches to the one who overcomes this to the one who overcomes this is the same word it's the same word of victory it's the same word of of winning but specifically in Revelation chapter 12 specifically in verse 11 I'm going to back up to verse 10 in Revelation 12. Verse 10 says that, and I heard, this is John speaking, same person, same writer, different time, but same writer. He says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Yeah, we believe that. That's what John talked about in 1 John 5, that Jesus is the Christ. Continuing on in verse 10 of Revelation chapter 12, for the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down who accuses them, day and night before our God, we do have things that we struggle with. We do have things that Satan so easily twists and tempts and manipulates to get us to focus on the things that we are no longer bound to, the things that we have been set free from. And it's so interesting how quickly we are to listen to the words of a liar than we are to listen to the words of our Father who loves us. But this is what it says of not just our faith, not just the overcoming faith that we have, but of him who overcame first. Verse 11, and they have conquered. These brothers and sisters who are, who are accused day after day, night after night, they have conquered him. They've conquered the one who's been thrown down and defeated, the accuser. They've conquered him, how? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, first and foremost, and the blood of their testimony of how that blood has washed them, has set them free, has broken the bonds of sin and shame. For they love not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. That, this is the encouragement. This is the, the motivation. This is the urgency that we see in First John that there are things going on within our world that can so quickly derail us, distract us, and they're all trying to destroy us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But take heart, not only have, has Christ overcome the world, but he's given us everything we need to overcome it through him. Verse 5, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God first Peter chapter 1 verse 3 talks about the overcoming talks about the centrality of our faith being in him first Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope a living hope well what is this hope and what is it based on it says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead The result is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What John writes about in overcoming the world are the things that we have to set our mind upon. It's so easy to get caught up in what's going on in the future, what we think will happen, what we think God's doing in the future, what, wh- where our nation is going, where, where God is leading us, whatever it may be, will we forget the fact that Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble. Worry about today. Take care of today. Understand that tomorrow is already in God's hands. And who among us can add one minute or one hour to our life by worrying about tomorrow? John keeps the urgency of now in front of us, that we overcome the world through faith. And this faith is either anchored in Christ and shows the fruit of that through how it shows love for others and love for God and for His commands, or it's fake. It's not genuine. It's not truly the expression of a born-again believer. It's just something that they try to manifest and try to show of themselves. Some of the people that were trying to deceive the, the, the believers in this early church, it says that they were so quickly, they were with the believers, the false prophets, the false teachers, the false converts. They may have been with the brothers and the sisters, the children of God, in vicinity, in proximity, but they were not of them. And so it was not hard for them to go away from them. Real, genuine faith is shown most in desperate times, just' like we heard on, on Sunday from Pastor Greg's sermon. But it's also through difficult, hard situations that the true testing of our faith happens. Back to First Peter, chapter six says that in this you rejoice." though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, in glory, in honor, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not now seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, And filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, our victory is both now and later. We experience the victory of Christ in the sense that we are justified in God's sight when we put our faith in Him and in Him alone through what He did for us on the cross. And we partake in this act of sanctification to where we are increasingly trying to shrink our hypocrisy and we're trying to constantly be following Him so that we may reflect more genuinely the one who is the source of our faith, the one who who started and the one who perfects our faith. We want to become more like Christ, ultimately to receive the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Looking at 1 John chapter five, verses one through five, you sometimes don't get the full thrust of the urgency without reading the first four, four chapters. But there is so much going into what he's writing here. There's so much here that has to talk about assurance of knowing these things, believing, fully trusting in certain things. It's not a blind leap into the darkness, but it's genuine testing, consideration, counting the cost, just like Christ said. Jesus said in a Sermon on the Mount, does not a general, does not a captain of an army first consider whether or not he can win a battle before he just goes rushing into it? One of the most important things is to understand that faith is not just a blind leap into nothingness. It is concrete. It is assurance. It is knowable. It is something that is certain. And we live in a generation, we live in a day and age to where certainty is one of the most hated and despised words around. Well, how can you know that anything is true? How can you know that Jesus really was who he was? How can you know any number of things? What we need to look at is we need to look at the first and foremost prime source of how to know anything, and that's God Himself. God is the standard. God is the source of all things. I, I would, in fact, urge you to in think that, into thinking that there is no way to know anything. There's no grounds for anything without God. Not just in the created world, but also in the things that we experience on a daily basis. Truth does not exist without God. More importantly, truth does not exist without the triune God of Scripture. Romans chapter 1 says that every person knows that God exists, but yet they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. We cannot allow other people and fallen creation, and even ourselves, when we believe the the, the words of a liar, when we believe all the condemnation that is brought against us by the, the schemes of the enemy and the accuser. We can't continue to fall into the ideas of the fact that, you know what, I really can't be, I can't be saved. That's why we see so many people, not just students, but also grown adults who struggle with the idea of assurance is because they think that their faith is not proportional to the glory of God. Well, it's not about the intensity of your faith. Again, authentic faith is not based upon intensity. It's not based upon sincerity, because you can have all the sincerity in the world and if you have the wrong faith and you're sincerely wrong. No, the true measure of authentic faith is the object of our faith, and that is Christ Himself. There can be nothing else. The full assurance is not that we can live in such a way that would make God see who we are and see how great we are and how closely we follow His commandments, but our following of His commandments is an extension of our love for Him. It's the result of our faith being solely in Him and in nothing else. I want to close with this and ask you the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. In Matthew, Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? They give him several answers. They say, well, people believe that you are John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, another, another prophet. But then he Jesus turns it more personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And he wasn't looking for them to give their opinions, to give their preferences. He wasn't listening to hear whether or not they agreed with what he was saying. He was listening for the genuine reality, the authentic reality of who he really was. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God, and this is... Is what Jesus celebrates. He says, Blessed are you, Simon bar for it is not flesh and blood that has revealed this to you, but it is my Father in heaven who has revealed this to you. Assurance isn't based upon our best efforts. It's based upon the object of our faith, which is Christ, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. So thank you so much for listening uh, to the study that we're going to be going over with with our students. Um, be in prayer for us as we go through 1 John chapter 5, and hopefully it'll have the same kind of impact on them that I hope that it has on you. We're continuing to pray for Pastor Greg as he uh, is on the road to recovery, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to to see him on Sunday. If not, um, we'll continue to pray for him. Thank you so much. God bless.